0: Holy Interplanetary Yardstick? (laughs) I don't even want to know what that episode was about. (laughs) I uh, have discovered over the course of my career in education, and especially in teaching math, that math is not most people's favorite subject. It actually wasn't even mine. I liked history. But I have discovered uh, in looking back that I have had... um, the unique uh, gift of seven straight years of excellent math teaching, uh, starting in, I think it was sixth grade, all the way up through high school. And I liked math because of it. I felt competent. I felt confident about my ability to do math because of these excellent math teachers I had. And so I um, have tried in my teaching to pass on as much as I can. But if um, if you think about math... Yeah, there are only four uh, verbs in arithmetic. When you first get into math, you find out that, oh, there's different ways to combine things. You can add, you can subtract, you can multiply, and you can divide. And that takes up most of your elementary math years, just learning how to do those things. Uh, The stuff that you do after that kind of builds on it, including exponents, roots, logarithms, and the like. But they're all just variations of these original four. We all know them and use them even if we don't love them. We also know some verses that talk about our use of these operations as humans and Christians. For example, which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his height? And the Ten Commandments, full of subtractions. Thou shalt not, because some of the Israelites and the neighboring people groups were. Be fruitful and multiply, right? Make more and more. And then cast out a divisive person after a first and second warning. There's even an entire book entitled Numbers. Yay, right? Isn't that that's that's your favorite book, isn't it? <laughs> nice try. <laughs> but there are many, many more verses about how God uses these mathematical operations. Let's begin with creation. Every day, addition. Lots of it. On a cataclysmic, astronomic scale, let there be stars and stop right there and think about how many billions of things got added instantly. Let there be plants. Anyone ever tried to take weeds out of a garden? There are a lot of them, and they're very good at multiplying. Anyone ever raised animals, like maybe rabbits? (laughs) They can multiply rapidly. He gives then, after all this addition and, and addition, the commission to mankind to be fruitful and multiply. Spread out, fill up the earth, do your own adding and multiplying. And then the next big event is the addition of negative things as well as division, where man gets separated from God and even eventually separated from other people. We, get, we see God separating Adam and Eve from the garden. Lots of division there. And the multiplication of negative things. By the time we get to Noah, a few chapters later, Noah is the only righteous one left didn't take long. If you think back to your elementary years and you're adding and subtracting, learning about negative things, you may remember some confusion there. I run into it a lot. So it's quiz time. (laughs) Mr. Thorpe! I know, I'm mean, cruel, and heartless. You'll just have to get over it. Which answer belongs with which problem? Think about it for a minute. Don't yell the answers out. I know some of you want to show off, but keep it to yourself for a minute, and I'll go through it with you in a little bit. Well, then you're going to have an advantage over the uh, other third graders after we're done. So in the first case... Negative four minus a negative three. If you ever play the game Uno, you know what happens when you play a reverse card, right? The direction changes. You were were playing counterclockwise, now it changes to going clockwise. But if you play a reverse on a reverse, it cancels it out, doesn't it? It's the same with double negatives. Don't use no double negatives is a good rule for English and for math. So the three becomes positive, And we have a negative one for an answer. That would be letter D. The second one really is as easy as it looks. You have four, you lose three. You've got one left. Letter B. The third one is hopefully easy. This time you've lost four, but you gained three of them back, so you're still one in the hole. Answer D. The fourth one. I don't know why math textbooks do this, but you don't need two signs on one number. You only need one. You're losing four, and you're losing three. You've lost seven altogether. Answer A. And the last one. When you multiply negative things, they stay negative, and you have more of them. Answer is negative 12. Answer C. And yes, letter E was never used, because I'm just mean that way. But with the coming of sin and the multiplication of negative things, and math tests and all that, we also get the first messianic prophecy, the seed versus the serpent, and the first rescue, so that not all is lost at once, or lost completely, or lost forever. Zero is not the answer when Satan throws the negative things in. Not even an intermediate step because of God's infinite love and power that are in the mix. So let's move on to Job. Everyone's other favorite book, right? No? Can't imagine why. It almost reads like an opera, doesn't it? Except for the ending, because Job's got a happy ending and most operas don't, but... There's this famous phrase about the Lord giving and taking away in Job. And I hear this phrase most often used to sort of philosophically frame a tragic loss. Well, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. That's just the way it is. It's kind of the attitude that I pick up on. And it makes sense given that Job uttered it on just such an occasion at the end of chapter 1. I tend to think of the book of Job as one long, slow, painful subtraction with a sudden massive addition at the end. But we need to remember that there is more to Job's story than Job was able to know. And there is more to our story than we are able to know as well. Job 1.12, very well, the Lord told Satan, everything he owns is in your power, but you must not lay a hand on Job himself. Job 2.6, very well, the Lord told Satan, he is in your power, only spare his life. Job 2.10, you speak as a foolish woman speaks, he told his wife, should we accept only good from God and not adversity? Job 9, 5, he removes mountains without their knowledge, overturning them in his anger. God does his thing without consulting any of us about the particulars. God does not exist to make our lives comfortable or easy. Nowhere has he made any such promise. He has, in fact, promised us adversity as well as blessings. And every person's life in this room can bear witness to his faithfulness in this regard. He gives both the good and the adverse. He allows both to be taken away in their proper time, as we see in Job. But there are blessings he does not remove. More on that when we get to the Gospels and Revelation. But notice here, in Job, that Satan is Powerless except within God's appointed boundaries. Satan has no power to break any boundaries that God has set. And he has to negotiate, nay, beg, for even the opportunity to bring harm to Job and his family. God only allows it so he can rub Satan's face in Job's faithfulness. And Job endures to see God give back even more That he lost at Satan's hands. There is great comfort, hope, and reassurance in these verses about Job's loss and grief. God's plans for Job never included or allowed permanent loss in any area, every loss and pain he experienced was temporary. And though Satan meant to use Job and his loss against God, God used Job and his loss against Satan. Job's loss, Job's grief was a weapon of God against evil because Job looked to God and God's faithfulness. God's character is highlighted even in Job's lament. talking of weapons let's examine a passage in deuteronomy chapter 32 verse 35 do not avenge yourselves but leave place for wrath that is god's wrath vengeance is mine i will repay says the lord and paul quotes it again in romans 12:19 that's delayed addition And multiplication. Sort of like interest in a bank. This, by the way, is the equation for earning interest. You let go of some of your power, some security, by putting money in a bank instead of in your pocket. But if you are patient, the bank makes it grow so that when you get it back again, it is more than it would have been if you had kept it. The longer you leave it be the more it grows. This is how God's vengeance works. We let go of some power, some self-justified security, some righteous vindication, and we trust God to do with it better things than we can ask or imagine. And he does. When God takes vengeance, it is more than we could have taken as well as more just than we could ever be in our limited understanding. Remember how Job never knew the big picture? Neither do we. God's destruction is thorough, and he is the only one who can make it permanent. But he is also better able than us to mix justice with mercy towards us as well as those we call enemies in the heat of battle. Our giving place to his wrath is better for you, better for me, it's better for them. Because while we can be limited and even fooled, God never is. He sees everything. Throughout the Old and New Testaments, God continues to add and subtract. Psalm 103, verse 12, As far as the east is from the west, and I know that's north and south, so far has he removed our sins from us. This is huge. The best subtraction ever. Ezekiel thirty six twenty six: I will take away your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Another instance of the Lord giving and taking away, right? Differently, perhaps, than Job expressed it. Daniel 2.21, he changes times and seasons. We saw that this week. He removes kings, he establishes kings. There is no justification for any believer to despair at the ballot box. Or even if there is no ballot box. God works no matter what politics we face. Give, and it shall be given unto you. This is from Luke 6.38. Pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. This is not the wisdom of the world, is it? The world says, take all you can, give nothing back. Right, Captain Jack? This goes beyond the eye for an eye thing or karma or whatever you want to call it. this is the extravagant love of our God. Hebrews 10.9 talks about Jesus taking away the Mosaic covenant to establish his own covenant. Again, giving and taking away. Revelation 22, 18 and 19, John says, I testify to everyone who hears the prophetic words of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. If anyone takes away from the words of this prophetic book, God will take away his share of the tree of life. He gives and takes away. You don't want to be involved in this in this exchange on either end. So that's God adding and subtracting. What about multiplying and dividing? Does God do that too? Oh yeah. Manna in the wilderness for forty years, feeding the four thousand, feeding the five thousand. How about the gifts? To the church for the edification of the body. Talk about multiplication. One testimony this morning, and we all receive encouragement, don't we? Isaiah chapter 40, 29 to 31. He gives strength to the weary and strengthens the powerless. And there was the parable Jesus told about his father dividing people at the end of time as a shepherd would divide the sheep and the goats. How about tithing? I bet most of you, probably all of you, have some story about tithing. God makes more out of our 90% than we could ever make out of our 100% on our own, doesn't he? We got witnesses, people. That's got to be one of the most overlooked multiplying efforts that we get to enjoy from God's hands. And since the book of Acts, the church has been multiplying and dividing and spreading all over the world. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. 1 Corinthians 12, God works in his body to clothe the weaker parts with greater honor so that there will be no division in the body. I think there's some value to having different denominations within the church, branches that have varying points of emphasis. A tree with several different types of fruit would be a good thing, right? But we must never forget that all the branches that are connected to the vine are also connected to each other. And as Stephen Katz reminded us, the New Testament says we have future brothers and sisters among Jews as well as Gentiles. Different fruit doesn't mean a different source of life. All the fruit on the branches connected to the vine is God's fruit. Corinthians chapters 1 and 2 and 3 all mention a body divided into factions being against God's purposes. Paul takes them to task for this. Was Paul crucified for you, he says? Paul plants, Apollos waters, but God gives the increase so that no matter who does the work, no matter who's singing or preaching or praying or whatever, God gets the glory. Satan likes us to be divided. He pulls us into the trap of condemning those who fall into the ditch on one side of the road while we fall into the ditch on the other side. We forget that we are in a war, that we have an enemy, that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, that those who oppose the gospel have been taken captive by the enemy. It's easy to draw lines. It's easy to pull back to where it feels safe, to avoid something different because we don't know if it's truly godly or not. And there's value to caution. But... God says, test the spirits. Find out that we will know the character of a person by the fruit of their life. We are directed to check things out. Sometimes different is good. Sometimes different is just what we need. And there's more math in the Bible. What about the planting of seeds? You get more than you sow. You get later than you sow. And you get exactly what you sow. That's multiplication and exponents. Like this. Back when you were in elementary school and you had to write the same edition of the same number over and over and over again, it took a lot of writing. You didn't care back then because everything was a work of art. But then you got to where you needed to get done faster and you discovered multiplication. You were like... Oh so much faster because multiplying is faster addition and then if you had a good teacher hopefully you discovered exponents after that because trying to multiply the same number over and over and over again, again, lots of writing and then there's exponents, you're like, oh, faster! Because that's what exponents are, a faster way to show multiplication. When you go to graph a straight line on the coordinate plane It looks like the thing on the top. It's like stairs. Every stair is the same distance away from every other stair. You increase incrementally. But when you go to graph an exponent, now it's like a roller coaster. Straight up or straight down. It goes faster as it goes faster. Your rate of increase isn't constant anymore. It's increasing. It's not just your speed increasing, it's your acceleration. Increasing. Am I reaching the physics people, the engineers? Do you see any good reasons to learn math? I hope. It's almost like math was made just so we could see how good and great God actually is. Hmm. The Lord does give and take away, both good and adverse. But that's a good thing. Do you see that? God invented math, and he uses it, but he's not limited by it as we are, and he never gets his math wrong. So the next time you undertake to add or subtract or multiply or divide, remember who made the world of mathematics and invented all the relationships between the numbers. We only discovered what God had already made. We didn't invent math. We use it like we use wood, water, and wire, but it couldn't be anything except what it is. And that reflects God's character. He is who he is, and everything else in the entire created universe must adjust to him. His character is also reflected in what he gives and takes away, and when, and from whom. How many times has he taken away courage from our enemies and given it to us? How many times has he taken the wealth of the wicked to give to the righteous? He has taken our burdens. He has taken our iniquities. He has taken our punishment. And he gives life, forgiveness, and freedom in their place. Yes, he also allows the loss of health The loss of possessions, even of those we love, as he did with Job, but only so that we can have them again in a much better way. He only takes away something good to create something better. He does not torment, he does not tease or pretend or lie to our hearts about what is good and what is right and what is beautiful if he allows those things to be damaged or taken, it is only because, like Job, we are weapons in his hand against the darkness, even in our grief. Our response to grief uniquely mirrors God's own response to his children's captivity and sin. Only when we have loved and grieved the loss of who we love can we be like God in his grief for us touched by the God who understands grief more than any other ever could. For he grieves for us all together and infinitely for each of us. He knows sorrow more deeply than we ever could. And yet, he is not overcome. His plans are not overthrown. And his grief, wrath, and frustration at the enemy's works will have, an end. Which means our grief and our frustrations will also have a final resolution. We shall not always ache and yearn. We shall find healing and satisfaction at last. We shall be brought out of every wretched place of brokenness and transformed for whole healed life in a transformed world. Hmm. When Jesus walked on earth, he gave us a taste of eternity. He added healing and took away disease and injury. He multiplied food and he took away despair. He gave life to the dead and took away fear. He took away excessive regulations that missed God's intent and brought freedom instead. He came to destroy the works of the enemy that we might have life and have life more abundantly. He gave us a vision of the future He has planned for us. His Father's house, thrones and judgment, ruling and celebrating, rejoicing and reuniting. That's a lot of giving and taking away that won't ever be changed back. Think about that. Our eternal life will never run out or be taken back or have its warranty expire. Or have to be renewed. Or have to be repaired. Or replaced. Or be upgraded. Or have to be offline while there's maintenance done to it. Or lose power. Or be hacked. Or be bought out. And the name and logo changed throughout the company. Ain't going to happen. None of that will happen to us ever again when we step out of this life. And into God's presence. That is a gift worth waiting for. And I'm looking forward to the many things that will be taken from me when I go taxes, sorrow, health care, weakness, illness, injury, entropy, the news, bills, time. Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians that we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Christ will return and take away all of us from earth and add us to his unfiltered presence. In his revelation to John, Jesus reveals to us that we can come and drink freely of the water of life, that the Father will add punishments to the earth and our enemy, that the tree of life is for the healing of the nations, and that all evil will finally be subtracted from our lives. The Lord gives And the Lord takes away. That great day is coming. And while we are here, waiting for eternity, let's not forget the greatest addition since Jesus, the Holy Spirit. Beyond fruits and gifts, we have the Holy Spirit himself in us, whom the world cannot know. We have God himself inside of us, working in us and through us, working between us, and manifested in our corporate gatherings and outreaches. How many times has the enemy's effort to divide us and remove us from a region been used to multiply the gospel into a new region nearby? God even uses the enemy's division to multiply. God gives good and takes away good only to give better. God allows hard. But hard things still bear fruit. That's another multiplication. As a home remodeler, sometimes willingly, sometimes of necessity, I've learned there is always something to put in and something to take out. In video games, characters must sometimes set aside certain things in order to gain others. To upgrade, you have to change. To improve, you have to do differently. So, of course, God is giving and taking away. It's a sign that He's at work. If the workshop is always clean, there's no work being done there. The busy workshop where lots is going on has debris, loud noises, stacks and piles, half-formed shapes, disconnected parts, packaging, even weird smells. And the glory of it can only be seen by the maker in the middle. No outside observer would possibly be able to see all those disconnected half-formed parts as anything but junk. But the maker has a vision. The maker has the drive to complete all the work that must be done. And the maker will use any tool necessary to shape and connect, to polish and sharpen and perfect his masterpiece. His giving and taking away is part of the dynamic life he lives and gives to each of us. Let's embrace that and try not to fight it, painful though it may be. For we are his masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus for good works, to be weapons of righteousness, To be a city shining on a hill that beckons the broken world out of the darkness and into his glorious light. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And holy is the Lamb that was slain. And holy is the spirit that lives in us. The Lord gives and takes away. Robin, you need to learn some holy arithmetic church gives free lessons. See you in math class.